Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Hey, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 9, we are in still this pattern of healing and forgiveness. And I knew when we started this that we weren't going to leave it very quickly. Uh, We were going to hang out here because healing and forgiveness it's kind of one of those things that can, uh, can take time, right? In fact, when we started it from the very jump, we kind of talked about this idea that healing and forgiveness uh, is one of those, those, those the words that you hear that you, on one hand, you're really excited about because of the promise and expectation and possibility, and yet at the same time, you're also dreading a little bit uh, because of what it might require and because of maybe the past experiences and because you might have to talk about some things you haven't talked about in a while Uh, Or maybe pray into something that you've stopped praying about. Uh, And there's things that come up in those. And and that tends to be the kingdom. The kingdom is a now and not yet kingdom. The kingdom is I I know that it's here, and yet I'm still waiting for it to show up at times. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Don't make me look like I'm a bad Christian. Uh, That is what we are in. We are in the now and not yet. It is near, and it is close, and yet it is still growing. And it is still increasing. And like a mustard seed is becoming more and more the tree where people are going to find rest and find their home. Amen? And so I'm believing that we're going to see that. We're, I believe that we're about to. I, you know, I say this with uh, all humility. Uh, I, I'm believing that we are, as the church, capital C Church, global church, going to walk into a season uh, of people beginning to see Jesus like never before. And we've talked about that for a long time in our church. Uh, one of the things we don't love about God is that he's a generational God. I mean, I know we say it, and we love the saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's awesome. We don't love the actual timeline. We, we don't love the generational timeline of God. We don't love that it might be one of those things where we birth something that we actually don't get to see happen. And that's the, the amazing thing about cult, our, the church. The church in a, in a microwave culture uh, should, be, uh, should be like an oven. Right. We should be like those who when you look at the side of the box and it says in a microwave, it's going to take 30 seconds. But in the oven, it's going to take 17 minutes. And you're like, one, I don't understand that. And two, which one do I want to do? And so often we opt for the 30 second. And we always regret it. We always go, man, I should have just dealt with the 17 minutes. And so we're in this healing and forgiveness pattern. Remember, all year we're talking about and I've got an idea how we're going to move into 2021 uh, late in November, but, but the idea of, of patterns of Jesus and trying to establish what did Jesus do so we can become more like him and, and the patterns of our life and the rhythms of our life and the habits, as some might call it, of our life. Habits seems a little too pragmatic. That's why I like patterns. Patterns is, uh, is something that we can walk into. And so healing and forgiveness was one of those. You see healing and forgiveness as evidence of what Jesus did. N.T. Wright talks about this idea that, that, that Jesus wasn't uh, speaking the word and every once in a while healing, that he wasn't trying to just kind of be this mobile hospital, right? He wasn't just trying to heal some things. He was trying to demonstrate the kingdom he was declaring. Y'all still on your couches. You got to be in the room. Be in the room with me, right? That, that he is demonstrating the kingdom he is declaring. And so for, and, and remember, just like when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, He did not do that just for the disciples. He did that so when the disciples go and start doing ministry, they would know that when they go from one house and get their feet dirty going to the next house, that the disciples would wash one another's feet. I know that your life is going to get dirty on the road of life. 
But I am committed as a follower of Christ to be the person that when you walk in my house, I'm not going to judge you by the things you've walked through. I'm going to wash that stuff off your feet so you can reside fully and comfortably in this house. The church should be a place where people can walk in with all kinds of stuff on their feet. And we are people who wash it off. That's why Jesus says to his disciples in that moment, this is so that you can see how this should look. I'm not doing this so you can think I'm good. I'm doing this so that you can replicate this in your life. And so today, this actually has been kind of sitting on the side. I've been waiting and wondering if I was ever going to preach it because on one hand, it's, it's like, yeah, that's cool. On the other hand, it's like, wow, they, you might think I'm weird. And, uh, and so I've, I've been holding on to this one. In fact, early on in this pattern, I, I texted a couple buddies and I said, what do you think about this? And they said, well, you're on your own. No, they kind of helped me out a little bit, but, um, but they didn't have to preach it. So it's easy to have opinions on things you don't have to speak up for. Hey, um, so they, they just gave me all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, um, and so Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9. And, uh, and I'm going to just kind of break down this section of scripture. And I'm going to kind of talk through a few different things because for us, healing and forgiveness is more than just a natural thing. I kind of want to take you from a natural place, which I think is important. I think it matters. I think it's, it's necessary. Um, I'm going to reference that later in, the, in, in today. Uh, but it is also important that you and I understand that there is a spiritual thing going on. There is a super to the natural. And that if we don't have that worldview, we can get... Uh, a little bit mixed up, especially when we're trying to walk through some of the difficulties of life. Mark chapter 9, verse 14, verse 14. It says, when they came to the disciples, uh, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. Talking about the disciples and scribes. When the whole crowd saw Jesus, when they saw him, Jesus, they were amazed and ran to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? What's all of this about? My guess is that I would have been in the middle of that scrum. I would have been in the middle debating because I just, I actually want to start a podcast called I Disagree With You. I just, that's all, I just, I don't even care if I actually disagree with you. I just find disagreement fun. And uh, ultimately, I find disagreement helpful, quite frankly, uh, if you're humble enough to admit when you're wrong, but, uh, which we're not all very good at. And Definitely not me. So I, maybe I should wait on that podcast because I, I think maybe I'll just lose friends and stuff. Verse 17, someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. Someone from the crowd yelled out, right, might be three layers deep. Someone from the crowd yelled out, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Have you ever been looking for Jesus and found the church instead? Have you ever been looking? I brought my son to you, Jesus. You weren't here. And all your people that say they represent you couldn't do anything about the problem I was bringing, not to them, but to you. You know, you're not sure if you could amen that because you're like around the church right now. You're around the people that you. <laughs> you ever, you go looking for Jesus and you find the people of God. I'm not saying that to dismiss the people of God. I'm actually saying that because it's the beauty of the church, quite frankly. 
Sometimes we come into this place and we come into the church and we're looking for this perfect Jesus and we find this broken body. We find people who are just as broken, just as hurting, just as struggling, just as persevering, just as enduring, just as we are. We all understand, how is this supposed to work? How is this all supposed to happen? William Barclay, you know this. I quote him every week. You should just buy the study Bible and then you won't have to listen to it. William Barclay says, the whole attitude of the father of the boy is most illuminating. Originally, he had come seeking for Jesus himself. And since Jesus was on the mountaintop praying, he had had to deal with the disciples. And his experience of them was discouraging, to say the least. His faith was badly shaken, so badly shaken that when he came to Jesus, all he could say at first was, help me if you can. Then face to face with Jesus, suddenly his faith blazed up again. How many of us know people or even us for a season who walked away from the church because we didn't think we saw Jesus there? Now, we, we said this last week. It, it, so many times we don't realize that broken people break people, hurt people hurt people, and, and sometimes we don't want to judge people based on their actions and ourselves on our intentions. I meant to do this, but they actually did this. And, and it's a little bit of a, yeah, kind of, that's like, you know, spotting someone 10 points in the game. It's not really fair to judge them according to that. But, but the reality is that sometimes we come into the church and it ain't perfect. Uh, just like the garden. We tend to think the garden was perfect, but it wasn't. It was potential. When, when Adam was placed in the garden, the plants hadn't fully grown yet. The animals hadn't even been named. There was a little bit of like, wait, these aren't all the same animal. I've got to figure out how to categorize these things. And so sometimes we come into the church and we get hurt by the church or we get hurt by the things that the church triggers or we end up in a place where we're frustrated with the, the, the incongruity of the message and the people and what is said and what is done and how we haven't all quite reached the ideal and yet the brokenness of our community isn't the thing that should drive us from it. It should be the thing that reveals its purpose. That we should actually be people who realize that we're all broken and come together in the brokenness and realize that in it God is restoring, God is making new, God is bringing people together and brick by brick, unshapen brick by brick, moved brick by bricks, bricks that don't all have a like straight edge. In fact, the, the better translation of that is stone by stone. Right? You ever seen those guys lay the things in the garden? They, they just take the, and they just kind of work it into place. None of them are perfectly made. They're just put in the right places. I've never said that before, and I need to remember that illustration because that's a good illustration. Sometimes the thing is busted, and you're putting it back together so that there can be something of beauty. And that is what God is doing. John Mark Comer in his book, My Name is Hope, which I would highly recommend not just for those of us struggling with anxiety and depression. It's written from someone who did struggle with it. He starts the book talking about, he, he remembers the day he almost took his car off the highway on purpose. Here he is talking about, but he talks about this idea that so often uh, we have replaced once a week therapy. We have replaced the church with once a week therapy. He's not speaking against therapy. He thinks therapy is a good thing. But he's also saying that in connection with the people of God, we begin to work these things out. And the reason we separate from that is because we don't believe this is a safe place to be honest, a place where we can be real about who we are. And yet James says the beauty of the church is that we would come together, confess our sins, and in that, in that prayer, in that time of being honest with one another, submitting it to the Lord, we would find healing. Our healing is in the fact that we all need healing, 
and we all recognize that, and we present that to the Lord together. See, that's when we make sin a bigger word than it is, and we make forgiveness and confession and repentance these evil, bad words. Oh, if I confess, that means I've done something wrong. Yeah. If I repent, that means that I need to get back into alignment. Yeah. Go coming home to a party. See, we're like the prodigal thinking we're coming home to condemnation. And really what we find out is when we come to Jesus, we come home to a celebration. All he wants is you back in his house. All he wants is for you to realize that it is not about your brokenness. It is about his perfection. It brings you in. And we become, like communion, the body of Christ. In verse 19, he says, he replied to them, you unbelieving generation. He's not yelling at the people who brought the sickness. He's not yelling at the people who brought the boy. He's, he's frustrated with the disciples. Jesus is talking to the Lord about the purpose he's meant to fulfill. And then he walks down the hill and realizes that his disciples are the first people he needs to fix. Leadership's not always fun. Leadership can be challenging. Leadership can be difficult, especially when right now in our current place, leadership is also imperfect. We ain't Jesus, right? And Jesus is going, you unbelieving generation. How long? I mean, just think about this statement. How long will I be with you? How long do I have to deal with this? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. That sounds mean, and maybe it's a little bit mean, but Jesus is kind of going, all right, I, I got to get on with this, and it starts right here with my people. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, how long has this been happening to him? How long has this been happening to him? I want to mention what this is. In Luke chapter 6, verse 18, they talk about uh, that everybody coming to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. This word torment means to undergo hardship. I love this definition. Think, just I want you to think if this is something that you've dealt with. Hardship from continual annoyance. To be tormented is to deal with hardship, to undergo hardship from continual annoyance. And is often used to describe mental or emotional turmoil. And the only other place we see this is in Hebrews chapter 12 where it says, let no root of bitterness grow deep because it will begin to spread. This continual annoyance is something that is not from without, but it is something that is buried within. That is not to blame us for planting it. It is to, to admonish us and to encourage us to make sure it doesn't stay planted. It is to encourage us and admonish us to make sure that we are good gardeners of our own hearts and our own lives and our own soul. The one thing I hate the most about the grass is not the grass, it's the weeds that try to sneak in even when the grass isn't growing. I pulled some weeds the, this, this week and realized that it had actually kept the grass from growing. I thought I had been doing good. It's August. I have not been doing good. And we have to be people who continually grow weeds. Do you realize weeds don't actually have to be, like, watered? <laughs> they don't have to be, like, fertilized. They just grow. And sometimes when we let certain things get planted in our hearts and we don't, Make the effort or make the, or at least lean into either other people and lean into God. We don't see those things pulled out. And, and Jesus is asking, how long? There's, there seems to be this idea that maybe this has been going on for a while. And the man responds, from childhood. 
has been happening since he was a little boy. He's a big boy now, and he's a little boy when it all started. And many times, well, hear that. I want you to think about this father who's bringing his son, who has no explanation for what's going on, no idea why it's happening. He says, and many times it has thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. Oh, but if you can do anything. I want you to hear this father who's bringing his son. I can't tell you how many times I have brought this son to somebody. I can't tell you how many times this, this, this spirit has taken my son and tried to destroy his life. I can't tell you how I'm so tired that all I want to know is that you can do something, anything, just do anything if you have compassion on us. Help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you, if you can, if you can, if you can, Everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Now, this is one of the most interesting statements in all of the Bible. The father cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Have you ever had a, like a season of believing unbelief? You ever had a season where you're like, yeah, I believe. I think. Right? It's like sometimes you believe, but you know there's somewhere in your life you don't. That's kind of the Father's place. He's done this so many times. I, Jesus, I came to you, and I ended up with your people. How dare you? Where were you when I asked for all this? Where were you when I wanted all this? Where were you? I've come all the time. I've gone to the temple. I've made the sacrifices. I've talked to the Spirit guys, I've talked to the sorcerers, I've talked to all the different gods, all the different idols, I've done all the stuff, and I'm bringing him to you, and I'm asking you for help, and I don't know, I do believe, but help where I don't. Help me where I'm not sure. Help me where I don't quite know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, the simple fact that he brought the child to Jesus speaks to the idea that he had some kind of belief. This might be a mustard seed kind of faith. It may not be a full-grown tree kind of faith, but it's definitely, they're not coming here even though it's a firehouse. They, they, there's, there's some kind of faith going on here. There's something happening here. And didn't, what did Jesus tell us? That if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that if you will just lean into that, if you would plant that, then I will begin to grow that. I believe, but I'm tired. I believe, but I've tried this before. I believe, but what about last time? I believe, but I'm upset with your disciples. I believe, but I'm upset with your people. I believe, but it's not perfect yet. I believe, but nothing's changed. I believe, help my unbelief. In verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit. This is still a time where Jesus is not trying to let the cat out of the bag. He's still trying to kind of keep things under wraps as to who he is and what he's up to. Uh, he wasn't very good at it. People tended to find out. Uh, but Jesus tries to do this quickly, saying to a you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. There's some who would believe that there's very little times where Jesus prays for healing or even tells us to pray for healing. He tells us to declare it or command it. You see that from Jesus even in this moment. Jesus doesn't pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come out, or the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, the wrong Spirit to come out. He says to the Spirit, come out, 
and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and stood him up. I love how close Jesus gets. In every story of healing and forgiveness we've talked about over this time, it is always about the proximity of Jesus to people. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do this? Now, many of us can sometimes read this as though they never had been able to do it. Sometimes we read this and think that they've never been successful. I don't think that's what's happening. I think what's happening is they were, they were frustrated because they had been able to do this, and they're wondering why this time they couldn't. Why this time could this, did this not work? There seems to be this idea that they knew how to go through this. They knew how to pray. They knew how to believe God. They knew how to command things. They knew how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But something wasn't working here. And it's striking to me because maybe, just maybe, this is something they did not know yet. I, I, this title of this sermon today, and I usually I don't really title my sermons very often. I wait till a couple days after. Uh, but today I have one for you, and it's just simply this. The devil you know. There's a saying that says... Uh, it's better the devil you know than the devil you do not. And the idea is if you're going to deal with difficult circumstances, at least choose the ones you understand. If you're going to go through a challenging moment, might as well go with the things you're comfortable with. That's why so often we stay in the places that we know we don't want to be, but it's better than the unknown things we're not sure of. It's better sometimes than stepping out into the challenges of a new thing than to just go ahead and stay in the challenges of the old. But forgiveness can be challenging because what's on the other side if I don't get that bitterness and that resentment I get to hold on to? What's on the other side of me letting that thing go from that person or that thing or that situation? What's on the other side of this? Maybe, just maybe, we are people who deal too often with the devil we know and not the devil we don't. Maybe the disciples are looking at this and going, wait, this is different. This, there's something going on here. And maybe for many of us, there are places in our lives that, that we are choosing the difficult circumstance we know rather than the difficult situations we don't. And I don't even want to make it just about circumstance or situation. I, I want to be really careful here because I do want to tell you that I believe that we are in a spiritual battle. I do believe that there are supernatural things at work. Paul did not seem to shy away from this at all. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, I, a final word to you. You know when your parents are leaving out of town or you got maybe your spouse is leaving, your friend is taking off, or maybe you're leaving for college or whatever it is, and you got a few final things to say. My mom used to leave notes all over the house in case we did, if we forgot, we could just read the thing. on the, This goes here, this, this goes here, this happens here, this, all the notes and all the things. My final word to you, be strong in the Lord. He's not telling you you're weak, you need to be strong. He's saying be strong because you are in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of what? The devil. For we are not fighting. This is really important. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Some translations say we are not fighting against people or humans, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Ray Stedman says, Paul tells us that our conflict is not against flesh and blood. That, it is, that is, spiritual warfare is not about the struggle of man against man. It is not a political struggle, a social struggle, an economic struggle, or even a religious, theological, doctrinal struggle. It is not a struggle between human beings. It is a struggle within human beings. 
The reason that is important is because if we, just like we said at the beginning of this, John Tyson speaks to this. If we don't believe that there is a supernatural thing going on, then that gives us the ability to demonize one another. Rather than fighting the thing that might be pulling on you or pushing on you, rather than fight the thing that has, has got a root of bitterness in you, rather than fight the thing that has oppressed you or depressed you or whatever it might be, we will fight you, not the thing behind it. Now, I can see some of you using this this week and as you argue with your husband or your wife. So please don't over-spiritualize this. Simon McIntyre, who, who's overseeing, is leading, uh, stepping into a season of overseeing C3 Americas, says it like this. Sometimes we are so heavenly-minded, we are no earthly good. Anybody know that, friend? We get so heavenly-minded, we are no earthly good. But then there are also times where we are so earthly-minded, we don't ever bring heaven here. And so there is this balance. Uh, John Mark Homer in his book, My Name is Hope, it's a good one. Uh, he talks about this idea. Sometimes when, when we are feeling tired because we're depressed, angry, whatever it is, sometimes we actually need to go to bed earlier, sleep in, take the day off work, and just rest and refresh. And then there are some times when we need to stay up later, wake up earlier, and pray and fast because God needs to break through on something. Both and, not either or. This isn't just about whether or not you pick the right essential oil, and this isn't right just about whether or not you pick the right prayer to pray. It is about us making sure that we are taking care of both sides. It is us making sure that we are taking care of our heart, mind, and body. This is that we are being people who lean into the both natural and the super of the life that we are living. And we tend to live in a world void of, of demons, spirits, gods, idols, whatever you want to call them. Another book I might recommend by another guy. Well, it's the same guy. John Mark Homer. There's a book called God Has a Name. And, and we've talked about this. That one of the, the commandments that God gives is have no other gods besides me. Why would he even say that if it wasn't necessary? Sometimes we like to say just idols. But it actually isn't just idols. He says, gods, I'm not going to get into this. We're not going to talk about all the. I'm just telling you, there's a reason God is saying there's something you need to understand. It's the reason the writers of the Old Testament would have capitalized the word God instead of lowercased it. Because he understood that he is God among gods. He is king above kings. He is Lord above lords. He is the one who reigns supreme. He, there is no one that can compare. But when we have no concept of the things that are supernatural, the things that are spiritual, then every time we run into a situation or challenge and we have no concept of that place or that world or that the thing that, that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6, then everything is natural. Everything is our fault or your fault. Everything. We have no concept for it, so we don't know what to do with it. And, I, and our world is obsessed with the spiritual things. So when, so when that tarot card reader says something that actually happens or when, uh, you see, you guys are already like, wait, where are we going with this? Or when that, that, that psychic talks to your friend's dead grandfather or something else goes on and y'all have seen it and y'all went, I don't know if that's real. I, listen, whether you think this is full on or whether this is symbolic, I don't care what you think. I'm, I'm just telling you what I know Paul thought. I know the disciples thought. Here's all I'm telling you. Either way, it is a thing. Either way, there is something going on that we must be people who are willing to deal with. When we have no supernatural, we completely live in the natural, we begin to naturalize everything, and then we don't deal with the things that might actually be the source of what we're fighting against. So don't go home and go, that wasn't me, that was the thing behind it, it's just not me. Don't use that this week. That would be over-spiritualizing it. Because that would be you giving up your control to something that isn't in control. 
nothing but prayer. This is the part that really challenges us because Jesus says to him, what, what do we got to do? The disciples say, I don't, I don't know how to get rid of this. I don't know how to, to get past this. And the, the worship team can make their way on up here. Because I don't, I don't know how to handle this. I don't, I don't know what, what, what I need to do in this situation. Why wouldn't this come out? And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, there are some things that only come out by prayer and fasting. There are some things that only change through prayer and fasting. There are some things that will only break through through prayer and fasting. Paul actually ends his, uh, his, his last word around putting on the armor of God, putting on the helmet of salvation, putting on having the sword of truth, all of those things. He talks about all of those, and at the very end of that, he actually then challenges us to be people who never stop praying. They understood that in prayer, in leaning into the purpose of God, in leaning into the presence of God, we are people of prayer, and in those moments is where God begins to reshape, renew, and break through in per- certain places of our life. What are we supposed to do? Pray. One commentary says part of the reason we are horrible at prayer is because we are missing four integral pieces of healthy prayer life. Not four steps. We're not talking about four steps like you got to do in order. But four integral pieces of a healthy prayer life. Faith, honesty, God-centered requests, and endurance. Faith, honesty, God-centered requests, and endurance. So I want to go through those four, and I want to challenge you this week. Maybe there's something you're fighting against. Maybe there's something going on, and you've made it completely natural. If I could just read this book, or if I could just get this thing, or if I could just do that, or if this would just shift, or if that would just change, or that, and, and you've not considered what else might be going on. And for many of us, how many of us walk through our life? We don't do what this man did. We don't do what the disciples did. We, we tend to live through this life as though everything is out here, that nothing is deeper or higher than what we're dealing with in front of us. How many of us walk through our life just kind of dealing with these things in a very natural way? And again, I'm not trying to be weird. I'm not weird. I don't think I'm weird. But I do want to encourage you that maybe, just maybe, the thing you're fighting is something you've never seen before. Maybe it is the devil you do not know. And the only thing that's going to fix the devil you do not know is to know more about the Savior you already know. The only thing that's going to change the devil you know or the devil you don't is the Savior you do or the Savior you don't. The only thing that's going to shift that thing is beginning to get closer to what God is up to and closer to what the Holy Spirit is at work in. And this is, this, that sounds almost like a pressure thing. Like, well, if you just would get it right when you pray. No, no, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that in a moment. I'm going to give you four things. This is two weeks in a row where I've given you bullet points. I don't do bullet points, but here you go. New season. It's a new season. Nobody knows that song. It's okay. You know it? That's a good one. Fresh anointing. Yeah. It's a good one. Y'all look it up. Um, we'll sing it next week. But maybe the thing you're fighting and the thing you're wrestling with is like the disciples. You've never seen this before. And because we don't have this worldview of whatever you want to call it, demon, spirit, whatever, you you don't have this worldview. It doesn't make its way into your world. And so you don't pray about it the way ch- Jesus challenges his disciples to. You don't pray about it the way Paul challenges us to. That we should be people who put on all this stuff, go to, go to battle, and pray. It leads me to believe that prayer is the greatest form of warfare we can undertake in our life. 
But that's only if you believe prayer works. That's only if you believe prayer actually makes a difference. So many of us think God is so sovereign that our prayers don't mean anything, and it reflects in the way we pray. We should be people who lean into it. So let's go through the four ingredients. Faith. I believe Jesus. I do. I've done this a bunch of times, but I believe faith. Walk in to prayer. God, I know you can do something. I know you can anything. Honesty. Help my unbelief. Help me where I'm not sure. Help me where I don't know. Help me where it's back there and I don't even know it's there, but it's unbelieving for sure. Help me in my unbelief. God-centered. But if you can, if you will, if you want to, if you'll have compassion, if you'll make this thing happen, if it's in your purpose. Number four, endurance. Since childhood, this has been a battle. Since he was a little one, this has been a fight. This has been trying to take his life for a long time. I mean, you've been in that lion's den for way too long. This night feels like a year. Hello, 2020. It, it feels like forever. It feels like I've been fighting this, and I've been praying for this, and I don't, I don't know what to do, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to give in. Come on, you're still on your couch. You're in here now. Let's go. I'm not giving up because I'm with the body. I'm with other broken people. I'm with other hurting people. I'm with other redeemed people. I'm with other healed people. I've got the whole mix in the room. I've got people who are good and bad all at the same time. I don't know how they do it. They are healed and broken all at the same time. I don't know how they do it. But somehow, someway, God is at work even when, oh, come on, I don't see it. He's working. Even when I don't know it, he is at work in my life. And God, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting for this moment. I wasn't sure it would ever come. But if you can do anything, and Jesus looks at you like he looks at Peter when Peter says, tell me to walk out on the water. And he goes, okay. If I can, have you lost the belief in me? I'm not condemning you for it. I'm just reminding you of where you're staying, where you're standing, what you're saying. Because your speech often reflects where you live. I am going to speak as someone because I'm with people. Yeah, I went looking for Jesus and I found his church. And while I might think that's a negative thing, it's actually the best thing that could ever happen. Because in this place are people who need him, people who love him, people who are walking after him, people who are searching for him, people who were also looking him and found you. And we all broken together, but we aren't broken. We all need healing together, but we're healed. We're all now and not yet. We're all being formed and shaped, and yet we're alive and made. We are people who know who Jesus is, and we know there is still more of him to come. We are people who know the Holy Spirit has started something, and he is faithful to complete it until the day Jesus comes back again for his bride. We are people who understand that right now the kingdom is here and near, and yet we can still not see the ends of the bounds of it. There are still places to explore. There are still things to understand, and there are still people to heal, and he is going to put brick by brick, stone by stone, step by step, the imperfect people into a perfect pattern that brings people into the presence of God. So let's have a little faith. Let's get a little more honest. Come on, let's put God at the center of our prayers. And let's endure because God is not done. Amen?
Come on, stand up. Lord, we thank you for today. God, we worship you for today. God, I pray right now in every person's life, in every single person's life right now, maybe just now their worldview just got bigger. We realize now that there's things that are happening around us that we would never have understood, never realized, never given credence to, never given credit for. We would have never realized it. But we know now that maybe, maybe the fight we're in is against the devil we haven't known. The one that we tried to put on the shelf and say, well, that stuff's not real. It's just weird Christians that talk about that. No, we're not going to get weird about it. We're just going to be believers. We're going to understand that we have a supernatural God. And there are supernatural things that would try to ruin, kill, steal, and destroy the things that God has put in us and put around us and put in front of us. So God, right now, I just speak against every oppression. I speak against every depression. And we say now in Jesus' name that you have no hold on us. We take captive every thought. We stand against every belief. And while it may take time for that to believe to become behavior, we will stand in it, believe in it. And even though this has happened since childhood, we will still come to the foot of Jesus, believing that anything can happen in Jesus' name.